Hey guys, thank you for tuning in today. Dave Riesinger here with Redeemed Church. This is our online message for this week and we are in week two of our James series. And today I want to explore a faith lesson um, or a faith principle or quality that we all want if we're followers in Jesus. But although we all want it, it's probably the most difficult thing Dave Riesinger um, has uh, issues with, so and everybody I know as well. This is something that I promise you, watch till the end, because we can all improve on this. And the improvement in this faith lesson, this faith principle, this quality, it literally will change the atmosphere of your daily life. It will change the quality of your walk with God and your relationship with other people. So here's what we're going to talk about. The title of the message today, James chapter 1, is Finding Treasure in the Trial. Trials, tribulation, trouble, temptation, tests, these are all things we don't want, right? When I was in school, if you were to ask me, Dave, do you want to know stuff? I'd say, yeah, I want to know some stuff. Um, Dave, do you want to have to go through the pressure of learning to get that knowledge? No, I want to stay home. I want to play video games. I want to go hang with my buddies. Dave, especially, do you want to take tests that are graded um, to see what you know? Oh, heck no. I don't want anything to do with the tests. Some of you out there might be uh, sadomasochists and you love tests. I just never did and I haven't met a lot of people who do. Yet, testing, trials, even temptation, troubles are a part of this life. And God says that it's actually something that he uses not to hurt us, not to annoy us, not to cause us internal pain and anguish, but actually to perfect us and to promote us and to bring us into a place of more Christ-likeness and more usefulness. Oh, and by the way, God uses this for his purpose and his glory at the same time. And so here's what I want to do. I want to read... Um, through this section, there's a couple little areas that I'm going to read out of James 1, and then I'm going to circle back around, and we're just going to highlight a few faith lessons that the Lord showed me in this. James 1, 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, not just joy, but pure joy, my brothers. We'll throw sisters in there as well. When you encounter trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance allow perseverance to finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded unstable in all his ways. Now verse 12 says this, and then I'm going to break into this. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised those who love him. So there's some really cool things. There's a lot more that I'm going to talk about, um, but I'm just going to hit on these three things that I saw out of here. First off, let me say that um, trials and tribulations, it's not if they happen, but it's when, right? So if we, like I did for so many years under a theology 
that I could be bulletproof, that everything should fall my way, and if bad things are happening, it has to be the devil, um, and uh, where's God in all this? If you spend your life trying to become bulletproof and avoid pain, um, you're never gonna get off of that rat race, right? You're never gonna get off that treadmill, and you're gonna miss out on the treasure that God has for you. So let's just clear that out of the way. We are going to experience trials. It's a normal part of the Christian walk, right? But when he says, consider it pure joy when you encounter many trials. So it's not just, it's one thing to try and avoid it, but then to go to the opposite side and say, wait a minute, when I'm facing these things, I need to actually count it joy. Now the word consider or count, it's an accounting term. And, and uh, one of the roots here is to, it's to, to calculate or to reckon. So what he's saying here is that when pressure comes, when things seem to be spinning out of control, when you feel like the world is collapsing in on you, when you feel like your circumstances are, are arising up to defeat you emotionally, when you feel like there's tension here or um, God should have moved yesterday and he should have moved last month and he's not coming through, when that pressure, I don't know what it is for you, starts to rise up, the Bible says here that you need to get your soul calculator out and you, you need to start to figure in the joy or the good that God might be doing in and through it. He's saying when you face these things, do a little math or do a little reckoning or thinking about what good could be coming out of this. Now, why is that important? Because we know God can do no evil. We know that we're his. We know that even if we're living below the standard that he has for us, he never gives up on us. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. Yes, he'll discipline us. But whatever he does in our lives, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And if you love God and you're called according to his purpose, which means that if you're in Christ, that applies to you, that the only thing God can do for you is good. That means that when I'm facing trials, I need to look for the good he's doing because it's part of his plan and purpose to promote and to perfect me, right? So this is where it starts off. So here's a faith, faith, faith lesson number one. There is a graduation, promotion, or prize on the other side of our testing. That's a huge faith lesson to understand. So this is the mindset that we should enter into when we're facing trials, trouble, temptation, and, and tests. Doesn't life itself teach us this? I mean, think about it. The exposure to purposeful pressure is used in our life to prepare us, right? And testing is used to evaluate our readiness in any given situation. So I was watching, um, I don't know, a few months back, I was watching the uh, BUDS training. If you don't know what that's, uh, that is, that's the training that uh, Navy SEALs go through. And this is one of the most rigorous uh, boot camp trainings you could ever go through. But what it's designed to do, it's de designed to discover the best of the best. It's literally created to break you down and it wouldn't be a successful program if 95% of the people graduated. What they're looking for, they're, they're looking for more than just the enlisted guy. Nothing against enlisted guys, thank you for your service, thank you for all you do, but what they're saying is, is in this particular realm or branch of the military, we are going to push you beyond what you think is possible 
and we're gonna make sure that most of you don't make it. But the ones that do, that endure the pressure and endure the tests, they then are forged into what we know as Navy SEALs. They are promoted as the elite among the elite and they're given the resources of the US government, millions and millions of dollars at their disposal to carry out the will of the government throughout the earth. Okay, so this is a, a great picture. We don't want the pressure. We don't want to have to stay up all night and do all the work. But, but the point is, is that these Navy SEALs, they go in knowing and expecting that they're going to be put through a, what we would call a living hell, so that on the other side of it, they can get the treasure of this dream maybe they've had from childhood. And so we, we see it with uh, schooling, medical school. Uh, my, my grandfather was a pathologist, and uh, I know people that are doctors, and uh, you don't just go to community college to uh, become a brain surgeon, and nothing against those in community college. I'm not saying doctors are better than you, but if you want to work on my brain, you're gonna have to go to more school. What is school? Well, obviously it's learning, but it's designed to teach you, but there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of mental pressure, and then what? Testing. You don't just learn, but you have to test, and you have to graduate and pass these tests if you're gonna be trusted to open up someone's skull and work on their brain. For instance, if you asked your brain surgeon before you were going under the knife, if you will, hey, uh, so were the tests really hard for you to pass to be a brain surgeon? If your doctor told you, you know what, I actually went to a medical school where they didn't require testing because, you know, it's kind of a new way of learning. We didn't want to offend people and make them feel inferior for not passing a test. So we just had to sit in class. And if we just sat through the classes, we all got our diplomas and we all were certified. Okay, so if, if that's my doctor, I might say, hey, I might have some damage to my brain, but my brain is not damaged so much that I know I shouldn't get up off this table and go find another doctor who what? Pass some tests, right? Isn't it true in the same way in ministry? Even in ministry, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 5, 22, lay hands on no man suddenly. Or another version says, lay hands quickly on no man. What does that mean? It means that don't anoint someone for an area of leadership too fast. Be slower to give someone a position of leadership within the church. Why? Because if it, we need to know what you do under pressure. We need to know that you've killed some lions and some bears before we entrust you with leading the giant killing ministry, right? We need to know what kind of attitude you have when things didn't go your way or how many years I was in ministry and, and, and my job was to set up chairs and I wanted something more significant than that. But my youth pastor was testing me. He was like, man, can you serve with a pure heart and humility in the background outside of the lights? Can you show up faithfully without complaining? Can you set the chairs up with passion praying over each one before the, the young people show up. If that's the case, then at that point, you might be entrusted to maybe open in prayer on the mic for a Wednesday night service. And literally, that's how it went. And eventually, um, you know, God continues to put you through these things and you graduate. But here's the point. Don't be discouraged when you feel pressure, trials, and testing. 
understand that God's goal is like, come on, honey, come on, son, come on, daughter. Like, you got this. I'm with you. Don't worry. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forge something great in you. I have a great plan, but you can't handle the pressure and the pride of the next level until you are faithful in passing the tests and enduring at this level, whatever that level is. Now understand that God is all about increasing us. He's all about perfecting us and causing us to be more Christ-like. And so this is part of his uh, design. So ending this point, consider it pure joy when you face testings. Because in the same way, diamonds are created under pressure. Pearls are forged through irritation. Pure gold is brought out when it sits under the intense heat of a fire. And our test is God's way of establishing the same thing in us. His glorious purpose, our perfection and promotion. Faith lesson number two is this. God is present and sovereign over all trouble, trial, temptation, and tests that we encounter. Now, what do I mean by that? Meaning that God's in control, even though it feels like things are out of control, okay? Even though it feels like there's no stability. Understand this, that whatever you're going through right now, and I don't want to trivialize it because I know sometimes like, like, hey, I don't want this to be, I don't want this to be a graduation deal for me. I don't want this to be a part of my promotion. I just don't want to be sick anymore. And I don't want my child to be out in rebellion. And I don't want to go to bed every night thinking I could get a call that this child may be dead. Trust me, I've had that conversation with somebody in the last couple months, right? So this isn't about like, yay, I'm going to just be super happy about you know, the terrible things happening in my life. Um, but here's what it's about. It's about, wait a minute, God, I know that you're working a kingdom plan here and my life is not my own. I've been bought with a price. So how is my response as a vessel and a conduit for the kingdom being manifest in the earth? How is, is my life and the posture of my thinking and the way I interpret and process these situations, how am I going to do this in such a way that you get the glory and that others around me are influenced by the way I handle what usually crushes most, sends others to the medicine cabinet or to the bottle? Like, how am I going to do this in a way that Jesus Christ is lifted up, right? So it's not about me as much. And, and here's, here's what we know. We have to understand, not only is he producing something, but he's present with us and he's sovereign. Um, if we're in it, guess who else is in it? God is in it. No matter what we go through, whether it's good, if you're on a mountaintop, you got Jesus right there with you, right? To celebrate. Oh, and to keep us humble too. So we don't get too high on the highs and we don't get too low on the lows. We have the spirit of the living God, the Holy Ghost given to us as a helper, right? As a counselor, as a paraclete. He's there for us. He's the representative. It is Jesus, but it's Jesus by his Holy Spirit. Um, David says it like this, right? So Psalm 139, he captures it so well. He says, I can never escape from your presence. This is verse seven. I can never get away from your, or he says, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell in the furthest ocean, even there, your hand will guide me 
and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in the darkness I cannot hide from you. To you the night shines as bright as the day. Darkness and the light are the same to you. You know what I love about this is that there have been times in my life that I feel like, man, this is so heavy. Surely I must have done something that caused God to distance himself from me. But you know what's interesting? He, he never has. You know what's fascinating and beautiful? He never has. He's, he's with me in all of it. And the times that I suffered the most under trial is when I took my eyes off of the very present help and the very person of Jesus Christ that's right there with me. And I got my eyes on the problem and I got my eyes on the pressure. But when I take my eyes off the fact that he's there with me, and then, oh, what does James say? If you lack wisdom, ask of God. I wasn't asking God for wisdom because I didn't think he was close enough to speak to me, right? And so instead, I started to be like, okay, well, if God's not going to do this, I'm going to figure it out myself. I'm panicking here. I got to get out of this. And so what do we do? We just like, we make decisions and we head off in a direction trying to fix our problems instead of saying, wait a minute, Lord, I don't know what to do here. And you promised you would be with me in this trial and in this trouble. God, please speak to me. Please show me what to do. I must know that he's with me so that I'm able to ask in faith, right? And so I, uh, I think sometimes, you know, we, we know that the enemy will try to ambush us. He'll try to bring a surprise attack. But here's what I love about the sovereignty and the ever-present nature of Jesus with us is that the Spirit of God cannot be surprised and the Spirit of God cannot be ambushed. He, he saw it coming the entire time. He's always many steps ahead of the enemy. And if you have a God that knows the next move of the enemy with you, then you are never going to be caught off guard. Now, you might in your logical mind, but you'll never be put in a position where his ambush catches you so by surprise that there's no weapon to yield and there's no way out. I promise you, because the Spirit of God is with you in all of it, he will provide the weapon or the way out just depending on what you need and what his plan is, right? But we got to look to him. I remember uh, I was thinking about this when I was writing this and a couple years ago, the youth group was meeting and, and we were meeting at this church and I was locking up. It was dark outside. They had a water balloon fight and I was inside and um, I just so happened to peek out and I was locking everything up, shutting the lights off. And I started to see all these young people scatter and hide behind cars, trees, with tons of water balloons, and I was their target. Last dude in the building, as I come out, they're going to mop me up. They had about 800 gallons of water collectively in these balloons ready to just smash me. And so I don't like to lose and I don't like to like, you know, get dominated like that. And so I was like, you know what? What do I do here? Holy Ghost, what should I do in this situation? I didn't really ask the Holy Spirit, but I did think. But this is a good illustration, kind of a silly illustration, but it fits. I, I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait them out because I'm surrounded by, quote unquote, the enemy. They're having fun, but I didn't wanna get soaked. I'm gonna wait them. So I wait for a half an hour. None of them left. And I'm peeking through. They can't see me, I can see them. And then it came to me. I'm like, I have no way out of this. I'm gonna have to like, I'm gonna have to face the music. And then all of a sudden, oh yeah, I remember there's a door in this building that leads right to a green belt forest that goes right across the road a block away to my house. 
And it was literally the only way of escape. And I did it. So I went, I snuck out, I snuck through the forest, grown man running from children. And uh, I got to my house. I, I tried to wait him out another 15 minutes. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna go back. So I got in my car, I grabbed my uh, paintball gun and I showed up in the parking lot and I just unloaded, chuck, 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 just blew them all up, right? Uh, they, I was like, y'all trying to play games? I am the game and the game doesn't change, right? We went from water balloons to paintballs. You're welcome. Rabbi Reesinger is in the house. I'm kidding, I didn't actually shoot him with paintballs. That would have been very cruel. But I did roll up in my car, doors locked, and I think I was bumping that song, uh, this is how we do it, it's Friday night, right? I just, I was having a party in my car while the enemy got duped. And I actually, God as my witness, felt terrible because I watched the depression waiting an hour to get me, thought I was still in the building, but the Holy Ghost led me through the only escape hatch. He changed the game. I got into a vehicle. I rolled back up on the enemy and completely took the wind out of their sails. Now, kind of a funny story, but I've seen this time and time again in my own life that, that I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get out. And then all of a sudden, when I just pay attention, don't panic. And I, God, you're with me. Lord, give me wisdom. I come back and God does the judo move. He flips the enemy's momentum back on him. And what felt like this is going to be a long, painful road, it flips and God gives me the position of victory over the enemy because I simply leaned into him when I was in a trial and a tribulation. And what Satan meant to destroy me, God used it to actually destroy the work of the enemy Maybe God rooted out pride in my life through it. Maybe God taught me another level of trust. I don't know what it is for you, but don't panic. He's with you. And then finally, number three, faith lesson number three, in temptation, in trouble or trial, Satan has a breaking point to our resistance and our endurance. James 4, 7, so I'm skipping ahead in James a little bit, but it fits this, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay, now check this out. This is kind of weird verbiage here. As long as our resistance is rooted in submission, we have the victory. Now, if you slow that down, that sounds really backwards because, well, the kingdom seems to be upside down and backwards from the way of the world. How do you gain more powerful resistance through submission. I don't, I don't win a match by submitting. I don't win a fight by submitting. I actually win a fight by resisting even harder, right? So notice the play on words here. Submit means to yield to a superior force. Resist means to withstand and oppose. So I'm a big fight fan. I know this is offensive to some. I, I, I love watching MMA. Um, you can theologically argue with me about it, but uh, it's just where I'm at. Um, and the goal in MMA, like mixed martial arts, is you want to either knock your opponent out or you want to submit them, get them to tap, right? And, and so to submit someone, you have to apply enough force and pressure in a way that it breaks your opponent's resistance and they realize there's nothing else they can do. So this is huge because James gives us the key to victory. He says, go into battle submitting first 
so that your resistance will overwhelm Satan, causing him to flee. Now, what does this mean? I'm not submitting to the enemy, but it's when I tap out with God before the fight starts, meaning I tap out of my own way. I surrender to my superior and his, his superior ways and his authority. When I submit my will, my fight, my game plan, my battle plan, when I submit it to him, it allows me to fight not on my willpower or my strength, but it allows me to fight according to grace, right? And so Satan wants me to resist in my own power. But if I choose instead to surrender to the Lord in trial and even before trial, but when I come with a posture of tenderness and surrender and pliability to the Lord, I actually become more uh, uh, ferocious and bold and unbeatable in the battle. This is such a key because my level of submission to God will determine the strength of my resistance toward the enemy. So this is the call. This is what God says. Here's how you outlast the enemy. Listen, Satan is not God. Satan only has a certain amount of strength to resist He cannot outlast grace. Oh, he'll outlast you every day of the week. But when you submit to God and fight according to his strength in the middle of a trial, grace takes over and grace never gets tired. Grace never gets weary. Grace never sleeps. Grace runs to the darkest place. Grace pulls up in the lowest valleys. Grace is the thing that we want to operate by. So no, he's promoting you in a trial. He's with you and present and he's sovereign. And that at the end of the day, that your grace and his presence or his grace and your presence with him uh, will always outlast the enemy because the devil has a breaking point, right? So submitting to God is that time every morning, getting with him in his presence. That time every day where you say, Lord Jesus, shower my mind with your word. Trials are going to come, but let it bring treasure to your life. I want to close in prayer, and I don't know where you're at, but um, let's just let the Holy Spirit speak to you. So why don't you just bow your head, and I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to ask the Lord to speak through me and interpret it the way you need to hear it. Father, we come before you, and we thank you that you're on the throne, that you have all power, that you're everywhere at once, that you can do no evil. God, I pray for the person right now that's in the midst of a trial, tribulation, test, or temptation. I pray by the Spirit of God, not my words, you would remind them that you are more powerful and you are more present than we realize. And I pray that this person hearing these words right now would call out to you, would ask for wisdom, would not buckle under pressure, but would resist and endure the same way Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He wasn't alone. Oh, it was the Spirit of God that led him there. So when we're against the enemy, we also have the Spirit of God, the same way Jesus needed it, we need it. And at the end, it says that he began his ministry with the power of the Spirit. When we graduate on the other side of this, we thank you that we'll be stronger, wiser, more influential, more humble, and more useful for you. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for watching today. If this message is going to be an encouragement to someone you know, then send it along. Um, Spend some time with Jesus beyond what you're used to this week and let God show you a deeper level of himself 
as you win every battle with the Lord who cannot lose. Thank you. We'll see you soon.